Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Reams. Today, I am joined by my friend, my esteemed colleague, and my co-host, Maxwell Bettendorf. How are you doing today, Max? I'm doing very well, playing a couple of games, looking at my watch, making sure I get the right timing down, all the great things. Is this a fancy watch, or are you old school? You got the Apple Watch? No Apple Watch, all old school, looking at that analog and then switching over to my phone to make sure I got the time right. (laughs) It's crazy how fast those skills deteriorate. Jeez. All right, today we are talking about indie games and specifically the viability for indie games to become esports. This conversation is going to go in a lot of different directions. Max is really big on the Steam charts, figuring out what Uh, Hot new games are out from new developers, really passionate about it. Uh, That's not me as much, so going to defer to him when talking about some of the great games that are out there. But first, we just wanted to cover what qualifies an indie game, and it's a little bit complicated. The title of indie game comes from an individual developer, so somebody who's not associated with a triple A big publisher, you know them, Ubisoft, EA, Microsoft, Valve, all, I mean, those, some of those are connected, but you know the big developers, Activision, Blizzard. So you can't be tied to a game publisher. And as Max and I were talking about before this, that's part of it. But there's also just this inherent perception of what people think constitutes an indie game. Yeah, when we were talking about that, we were looking at games like League of Legends at their perception right now. They're one of the biggest games in the whole world. Definitely one of the largest esports that we've ever faced. So looking at where it came from, it was very humble humble roots coming out of a college dorm. Just people wanting to make a video game for video game's sake. It happened to get the popularity that they might not have seen coming, but definitely the one they wanted. And now, if you look up indie games, I can guarantee you're almost never going to find that League of Legends today is perceived as an indie game. On the other side, though, you got games like Minecraft, which have to be the largest indie game and most successful indie game story of any to come out in the history of gaming, which is crazy because now it's owned by Microsoft, which has to be one of the largest AAA titles out there on the market today. So Minecraft, still seen as an indie game, where it's owned by a AAA publisher, though League of Legends, still owned by Riot Games, still a very independent publisher, is not seen as an indie game as frequently. So that perception, the perception of indie games is huge right now. And our point is basically that any game that has indie beginnings, because both Minecraft and Riot Games had these small, humble beginnings... Well, if you prove successful, you're not going to stay indie for long. Riot, well, um, was bought out by Tencent, who is the Chinese octopus that owns major parts in just about every single major video game title. Seriously, look up Tencent's um, portfolio, and it is literally every single company you probably frequent. It's kind of crazy. So you have that buyout, and that's the the crux of an indie 
developer is that you are indie and you deserve the full support because you are a small indie developer until you're not until you reach a certain level of popularity that the money is going to come and you have to bring somebody else in it's the natural finish of being an indie developer the goal is basically to stop being an indie developer Um, some people are definitely talk about it for the pure art of it but ultimately people are making their livelihoods in making video games the goal is to make the video game popular and to make money from it Uh, so one other great example of an indie game that received pretty national attention in the video game world was cuphead and that was two uh, brothers i believe passionate developers who wanted to create a devilishly hard game in which you actually fight against the devil and the game is in like a 1920s 1930s style And it is so difficult. And that's one of the big benefits of having an indie title is that these these developers didn't have to cater to, uh, you know, a wide ranging player base. They could just create a really hard game. And that made it a perfect game for speedrunning because you can then take the absolute best people out there and watching them dive through these what look to be nearly impossible levels is incredible to see, which is exactly what you want from a great speedrunning game. Yeah, looking at games like Cuphead coming onto the scene, it does make speedrunning seem like a very viable option for indie games to reach into maybe an esports scene of their own. For in general, when I think of an indie game, there's not a lot of big competitive multiplayer games out there. You're thinking of games like Celeste or Super Meat Boy, Minecraft, even Cuphead, Undertale. I mean, these are independent of adventures that you do completely single player. So the best way that you can make that competitive at all is simply just to do it as fast as possible. You love these games so much, just get it over with. You don't need to sit on them too long. Yeah, so we're going to talk about speedrunning as a crucial component of a future of indie games as esports. But first, we wanted to run through a little bit of the history of how indie games have developed over the years. And there's been some really key moments that allowed independent game developers to really shine and be able to do some awesome things. And the first is some open source engines like Unity and the Unreal Engine. That was the biggest hurdle for somebody to design a game. And by taking these engines of world design, suddenly they could focus on more minute details and making their game unique versus just the pure chore of making everything actually work. That was the step that most people fell apart on and open source engines helped with that immensely. Yeah. Second, you have... Uh, second, you have online marketplaces like Steam, which allows dev to push towards market and you don't have to pay for production of a cartridge or a disc. That is also a huge, huge moment. Steam stores make them more accessible. You can bundle games. You can buy games for relatively cheap. Gets it out to more people. Then consoles adopt online marketplaces through Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. And finally, we got crowdfunding sites, which gave these young developers who were often financing their projects by themselves an ability to put their idea out there and actually receive a little bit of runway to make games awesome. And that's why we've seen so many more indie games come out and the quality of indie games rise, especially in the last few years. When players get to, it's kind of like a, 
pre-funding before you can pre-order a game. You get an idea of what the game's going to come out as, and then you can send all your money that way. You definitely get a better budget that way, but it doesn't take it out of the indie title. Yeah, it's a really cool way of doing it. It also shows that there's support for your idea, and you don't spend all your time developing a game that no one wants. It's a great indicator of, hey... You know, we, we received two bucks from 2,000 people. That's 2,000 people who are interested in our game idea. This probably has legs. Yeah. Versus, okay, we have five backers. We should probably scrap this and try something else. <laughs> Definitely. When I'm, like I said before, when I'm thinking of indie games, it's hard to really recognize many of them as outwardly competitive. Definitely not against other players, unless you want to be the first one to get it done or achieve the highest rating in a mini game within it. But for the most part, the only way that you see a lot of popularity out of these indie titles is either through spectator plays like Twitch plays or through speedrunning. And definitely uh, competition base in there has grown quite a bit. Things like Games Done Quick, which is a huge charity stream for speedrunners that goes on every single year, has really grown in popularity to make speedrunning become much more focused on gamers in general. I've myself have not been too keen on speedrunning until the last year or so where I actually started focusing on what these things are in the amazing feats that players can get. And there's a huge competition base there. There's so much going on between players wanting to have the world record in so many different divisions of speedrunning say there's a certain percentile that you can reach or a certain number of items that you can reach before you finish it or there's the any percent or the 100% you complete everything in the man in the matter of like 20 minutes or in 6 hours but to watch them as an as an esport it could take a long time and it could be pretty tricky but i think it's the best way that indie games that are coming out today can actually get into that realm yeah, it's the closest thing we really have right now. And if anybody's curious about Games Done Quick, I wanted to link one of actually my all-time favorite speedrun, which was done by a guy named The Mexican Runner, and it was at GDQ 2018, and he's playing Cuphead. So this is a great example of watching one of the premier speedrunning uh, forces. He is insane. Play one of the hardest games, which was a product of indie developers who made their game absurdly hard. And I think it's a great uh, example of what speedrunning can look like and the hype behind it and how skilled these players are. So I'm going to link that run below. And if you're curious about checking out GDQ, the next event is in San Diego, September 27th to the 29th at TwitchCon. So that's another fun thing to talk about. It's crazy now, watching speedrunning when you when you get somebody who reaches a world record and the amount of explosion that comes out of them. Just the just the absolute passion for what they're driving at and the achievement that they acquire there. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, speedrunners are focusing on pixels. That is what this comes down to because these games have been done over and over again and so they're looking for the smallest most minute detail that can shave just a tenth of a second off. Some games are down to shaving off tenths of seconds here and there with little strats or jumping the corner at this perfect way. It's honestly an insane scene and just the most like manic I've ever seen anybody play a video game. It's just 
it scares me a little bit to watch the intense focus and know that, you know, one tiny slip up is going to like throw their entire two hour runoff. It's just, oh, I couldn't do it. Dude, the heart breaks. The heart breaks. So here are some of the most famous speedrunning games throughout time. Because speedrunning has always been a pretty important part of video game culture, especially back when actual competitions didn't really exist. You couldn't, it was hard to play head versus head. So how are people going to compete? Well, they're going to be the quickest people to finish Super Mario or Donkey Kong or old arcade games. When it went to PC, you had two games really shine out and those were Quake and Doom. And there was a ton, the speedrunning culture around those two games really blew up. Like I mentioned, some Nintendo games, uh, you, Super Mario and Legend of Zelda were both very popular speedrunning games for a long time. But I really wanted to touch on Dark Souls. Oh, and yeah. Dark Souls is, oh, it's such a hard game. And there's one speedrunning, um, a way to speedrun Dark Souls and you can't take a single hit. You're playing one of the most difficult games of all time and your character can't be hit once. That that's the kind of like ridiculous speedrunning that really captivates me. Cause I'm like, how could you possibly think this is a good idea to play this game and never once get hit? And it takes what, five hours to complete? It's disgusting. I've played unbelievably too many hours of Dark Souls. And to watch someone come through the rapier, get behind a boss and take him out in seven stabs, I'm like, that's not how it works. How are you doing this? Yeah, it's I, I I'll, I'll put that link in the below because there's just watching that guy play. I can't remember his name. Do you remember who I'm talking about? No. There's there's multiple, multiple people who have done this, but I'll find a good a good Dark Souls speed run. It's just it's just an incredible incredible feat. Yeah, watching people manipulate video games. I've, I was watching a speed run recently of Sonic Adventure Two Battle, and the amount of manipulation you can put into a game, so much so that they create separate tiers of speed running that doesn't allow you to glitch through the map. Because these old games were never meant to be destroyed by these speed runners, and that's kind of like what goes back to what we were talking about in esport popularity is if you can break a game and manipulate it to your greatest success that's what keeps a lot of people around and to watch people destroy one of my favorite games sonic adventure 2 battle it's saddening and it's also absolutely awbringing to see people clip through a wall fly through space and find the end goal in what should be a 20 minute level in the span of a minute and a half (laughs) <laughs> I don't understand how people figure these things out. Yeah, the old garden speedrunning works so hard to tirelessly shave time off. And then somebody just came in and was like, well, if you glitch through the level right here, they're like, no, okay, there's glitch <laughs> yeah, run. No. And there's our runs. Our runs still count. I've been working count. so hard. Stop. You can't just glitch through. That's not fair. It's not fair. It's not cool. Um, so those were all Quake, Doom, Mostly pretty huge titles. Nintendo, obviously, a huge publisher. But lately, the favorites in the speedrunning community have been indie titles. And there's a couple reasons for that. We mentioned it already. Um, In addition to Cuphead, Spelunky is also a really popular speedrunning title. It's a pretty ridiculously hard platformer. So these games have become real favorites because unlike... A publisher who has to aim their game at 
you know, little Timmy, make sure little Timmy can complete it, has an easy difficulty for him. And, you know, you don't want people to pick it up, be like, oh, this is so hard and then never play it again. Well, indie developers don't really have that problem. They can create a game and just make it as hard as they want because they don't have any people to answer to about the difficulty of it. It's just them and they just want to release a crazy hard game. Like Cuphead could never have come out from a AAA publisher because it's so difficult. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Yeah, definitely. When, uh, so you were saying that, uh, indie games seem to bring on a lot more speed running than these AAA published games do. And I think a, a big reason for that is like I said before, the ability to manipulate a video game, uh, these indie games, they don't have as much, in them, nor do they have as much uh, hands-on to test every little thing. So the ability to break a game, manipulate it to succeed at your best possible potential is a lot greater there. Plus, most of these aren't as recognized, nor are they as played. So it's a lot easier for you to gain the top spot, learn the best things, and try another method another time. Plus, they're usually shorter games. A lot of people can run through a game like hollow night in an hour or two hours where maybe a hundred percent run might take five, six, 10 hours. But to get through a game in like an hour's time, you can do that seven times in a day before you realize that the sun is up. So, I mean, you can, you go into a game like, I don't know, uh, name a triple a title GTA five to try to speed run a game like GTA five would take you five, six hours in one playthrough. I'm assuming I haven't looked up the record yet, but I'm assuming that record's tough to beat. And if you're trying to become a regular speed runner, dedicating six hours to a gameplay that you probably have to try at least a couple times in one day. I mean, that's all you get is a couple times. You could speed run some of these indie games and get it done in 20 minutes and be like, still three minutes off the record. Got to keep going. That's only 20 minutes. I watch a YouTube video. That's 20 minutes and I go, that was good. I'll watch that again. That's a good point. And indie games do a good job of being very high paced because they're so small. It's like move, move, move. GTA, on the other hand, you spend a lot of time just driving for missions. And that's not fun for a speedrunning community when, oh, this mission, I have to drive over here. Now I have to drive over here. And it's, you know, what what are you going to do? It's just random driving through the streets and hoping you can cut every yeah, corner. Find that strap that sends you into a into a swing set that launches you to the other side of the map where you need to be. But I mean, even those are f- far hard and far between to even find a lot of those don't get discovered because people don't want to dedicate that kind of time to finding speed running strats in a game that already costs you six hours to beat. Yeah, exactly. That's just not the main draw of those games. Those games are designed to be slowly explored and moved around in versus indie games, which are like pretty linear. Usually uh, often 2D or or just pure platformers. Um, I'm not again. I'm not as huge on the indie game scene, and more are moving to to open worlds. But having an open world takes a lot of money. It's a lot cheaper to create a 2D experience, and there's sort of a a lack of you know really good 2D games out there. Don't compete against Red Dead Redemption Two and create an open world western. Do something unique like Cuphead. everybody needs to play Hollow Knight. 
greatest indie game on the market right now. But on the topic of uh, this is why what did you say? Let's like this is why this podcast exists because Matt keeps or sorry Max keeps hounding me about Hollow Knight. He's like, we gotta talk indie games and Hollow Knight. So Max, here's your chance. Well, why should anybody play Hollow Knight? Not on a speed running or indie game perspective, but Hollow Knight as a game is built out of the minds of two excellent developers who just make video games because they like video games. It's a passion project made for passionate people and passionate players alike. It's got one of the deepest, darkest, strangest, coolest, most loving lore that a game could ever have. For a game that costs you $15, I put an easy 60 hours into my first gameplay and I just want to keep coming back. Even more so, I want to watch somebody play it. I want to experience for the first time this game again through the eyes of somebody else because I know what's going to happen. I know where this game goes. I know what you need to collect and how great the experience could be. So I'll tell people a thousand times over, Hollow Knight's the best indie game on the market. And if you compete, if you want to compete with me on that, then please tell me another great game to play. But on the on the topic of speed running in general, <laughs> on the topic of speed running Thank in general, I, I find that presented by Hollow Knight. Yeah, Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight sponsor for no podcast ever. <laughs> Though the new Hollow Knight is coming out and I am crazy stoked. Silk Song, you will be mine. So I was I was talking about like speedrunning in general. One of the f- most fascinating things about the community of speedrunning is how collaborative it is. Yes, it's very competitive and yes, people want to win and the world records are there to be beaten and God knows they're going to be beaten. Some of them are unreachable, but the way to reach them the best is simply through community effort. One person finds a strat, one person finds a secret, one person finds a glitch, and the entire world will know about it, and every single speedrunner will start doing that. Something might shave 10 minutes off of a run, and you have that is the new way to do it. One strat might shave a quarter of a second off, and that's still the new way to do it. Every single discovery, every single move, every single find, and every single completion will be used to its greatest and fullest potential by literally everyone. The minute a new strat is found, the old one is out the door. And it's really inspiring to watch an an amazing and massive community build and grow together as they do in this. I absolutely agree, man. I think sport or speed running is just such a, such an interesting area and it takes so much practice and there is some sort of, seen to be made out of it it exists if you were comparing it to traditional sport you have your franchise leagues like the nba which is your league of legends but then you have your records you have your fastest time in the world the highest jump in the world who can hold those records at the time and most of those strategies have basically been found out completely it takes some transcendent athlete but that's basically what the speedrunning community is to in a to esports is they're pure record based. You have your games that matter the most and whoever can do them the fastest holds that record. So that's how it fits into the wider esports structure if we want to compare the esports world to traditional sports. Sure. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense there as well. So, but when talking about indie games that have become massive esports, we mentioned Riot Games at the top. 
I fully believe that Riot Games began as an indie developer because all that means is they were independent. It was two guys in a college dorm room at USC and they created League of Legends. Other ones like Rocket League was created by Psyonix. Psyonix at the time was had released a couple titles um, like the predecessor to Rocket League, SARP BC, and a monster game I can't remember the title of. But what their main function was as a company was being really good with the Unreal Engine. And uh, different companies hired them to help them optimize the Unreal Engine for their title. That was what Psyonix did. They worked in as a part of AAA publishers. And then they created Rocket League and became something like they were a smaller developer. I wouldn't exactly call them indie, I guess, because they had support from some of the AAA people. And then eventually they get bought out by Epic Games, and now they're absolutely no longer indie. Similar situation over uh, with Bluehole, who created PUBG, and now it's subsidized under the PUBG Corporation. But Bluehole had, you know, a couple very small games. They definitely were not a AAA developer, and then they create PUBG, and suddenly it's massive titles. So what is? And then you know, Bluehole also pulls in an investment from Tencent. And after Psyonix was acquired by Epic Games, who is owned by Tencent, all three of those games are now currently uh, have investments or the majority stake is owned by Tencent. Like I said, they have a, a far-reaching ga- grasp on the esports and video game communities. Yeah. What's obvious about these major indie games that became so popular you can't even recognize them as indie games is that they're all very multiplayer base. And like I said earlier, indie games so regularly today come out as a single player experience that pretty much the only indie games that can come out to reach this kind of success that these ones have would be to make like a VSS like Rocket League. Those virtual spectator sports are going to be a lot easier to draw in the popularity that can grow to this amount. And as you stated, I mean, all of these games you're talking about have been bought and succeeded and became an esport to the point that it's really hard to consider them indie games anymore. And some of them just aren't. And that's uh, that's the yeah. double-edged sword to making an indie game is you want it to succeed, but then it doesn't have that indie stamp anymore. And the popularity of, of or the people that find indie games fascinating for the indie game's sake might be put off by the growth that it has and not want to be a part of the fandom that moves it forward. I don't know if that's a case. It's definitely not a case for me. Rocket League gets as big as it will ever get, and I'm still going to keep playing. But I can see that as a case in some of these forums where people love on the indie scene. Could be tough for them. Yeah, there's definitely the the video game hipsters out there who want the thing that's new and nobody else is playing. And then when everybody takes over, they start playing it. But for the developers, they don't necessarily want to cater to that crowd that if they're going to leave them the second it gets big, they want somehow to get big. That's the that's the whole goal of it. And it based on the past history, creating a multiplayer environment, a competitive environment appears to be the biggest way to turn for an indie developers to become to get major investments and really catapult into bigger titles. It's so hard to do that with a single player campaign, but there are some examples. I mean, Minecraft is such a totally unique entity Mm -hmm. out there 
obviously was not a hugely competitive experience, but a collaborative one, I guess I would describe it as. And but the the whole point is that it's so interesting that esports are often built by indie developers, and it's the best way for somebody who's an indie developer to immediately catapult up and become huge is to make a competitive experience that hits a nerve and catches yeah. on. Easier said than done for sure, but it is really an interesting for case sure. Study. And gamers will take anything and make it competitive. That's the nature of gaming is that people want to take the easiest things. Say Animal Crossings. It is a AAA title. There is no way it could ever be an eSport, but I bet you there is some small sect of people who compete in Animal Crossings. And I know for a fact they got speed running, which doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, would you say that the indie developers, I'm sure there's a lot of indie developers out there that are very happy to be indie developers. But would you say on the whole, are indie developers, is their primary goal to reach the status in which they are no longer an indie developer? I don't know. I think that's a complicated question. Some are definitely doing it for the pure art of the game, but ultimately making a game takes hours upon hours upon hours. If it's not your primary profession, you probably want it to be. I just can't imagine like if somebody was like, hey, it's going to become really popular and you don't have to compromise your idea, which these games didn't have to do. Rocket League didn't fundamentally change when Epic Games acquired it. League of Legends didn't fundamentally change when Tencent invested in it. Uh, so I think if you come to a person with that and be like, hey, that game you made, it's really popular. We want to invigorate it with a lot more money and you can keep running it. I don't see why any developer would ever yeah. say no to that. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it would make a lot of sense for indie developers to want to reach the kind of acclaim and success where they have the obviously the money coming in. Um, but then if, for games that they make going forward, can they still be considered an indie title? Or are they then a part of the AAA function that factory builds these AAA games year after year? I, I feel like, yeah. is it based on the game? Is it an indie game or are they the indie company making a collection of games? I think it's an indie game until it's not. And it's an indie company until it's not. Like Team Fight Tactics, which came out with Riot Games this year, absolutely not an indie game. It came out through Riot Games, which is now a AAA developer. But when Marilyn Beck founded it back in USC in the late um, 2010s or uh, 2008, 2009 range, that was an indie company. They were independent. They created a title to themselves, this idea of running games as a franchise, as a uh, as a subscription service, I guess. And it paid off incredibly for them. So at one point they were. And then once they receive a big investment from Tencent in 2011, I think they no longer are. Right on. Right on. So I guess looking forward at what what indie games could actually make for a good esport. There's a lot of there's a lot of 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 question of like what does it really take to be an esport versus what does it really take to be an indie game? And do those two collaborate together to actually create what you're looking for as an indie game esport? What's it gonna take? 
I don't know. I think that's the the simple question. But indie developers have this ability to, you know, everybody now is doing auto chess. In the past, everybody was doing battle royale. Indie developers have sort of the ability to create something totally new and unique, which could lead to whole different competitive formats. But it also it poses a very difficult challenge of somehow attracting a player base to this new sort of game and not being undercut by a big developer yeah. at the same time. I feel like if, if indie developers are going to try to target the esports scene, it would have to be a VSS. I mean, that's the only format of an indie game that seems to make sense to really break out in that scene. For an esport, you've got to have competition. You've got to have a multiplayer player base. And you've got to have money coming in. And the only ways that that's going to work, at least on the competition and player base side, is to make a multiplayer game that is competitive, it'll have to be a sport of a sort. There are games out there that are, you know, shooters that make into good esports. There are games that are more board game-esque that can make into a good esport. But on the indie game scene, I feel like there's a lot of open space there for you to really test and trial. We were looking at all the other VSS potentials and outside of Rocket League and potentially uh, the incoming roller champions, everything else that we found was pretty much an indie game and it was pretty much a knockoff soccer version of something. So, I mean, I think games like that, as we were looking at videos of these games, these VSSs, we're like, I want to play that. I want to watch someone play that. I can't wait to see somebody great at playing that. And I think that's really important for what's going to make esports. Yeah, we're going to make VSS happen, uh, whether you like it or not, it's games happening. industry. So for anyone who may have missed the podcast with Ubisoft and Max on the tail end, where we talked about Roller Champions, I wanted to talk to the Ubisoft developer about this new genre which is the Rocket League, they're sports, but they're not sports. Because Ubisoft has this Roller Champions game, which is like Roller Derby. There's a lot of similarities with Rocket League. In that podcast, we, we talk about the differences. And while we were doing it, we were talking about this genre, because this genre doesn't really have a name. And we had some different ideas thrown around, arena, uh, virtual sports, spectator sport. Well... Max and I settled on this acronym, which was VSS, Virtual Spectator Sports. And we like the acronym because it flows well. It fits in sort of the MOBA FPS sort of vibe of this is acronyms for game genre. Um, Ubisoft love. Thank you so much for Stefan coming on. His acronym was CATS, which was connected... Arena Team Sports, Connected Arcade Team Sports. Um, Cats is kind of weird. And, and again, Max and I covered this all in the past. Uh, but the general idea was the same. These are the games that take place in a virtual world. Like Broccoli, you can't actually drive and fly cars to play soccer. Uh, Roller Champions a little bit more sports simmy because you're controlling a human in playing roller derby, but you can do some pretty crazy things. And then spectator, because they're still taking place in an arena, like a true thing and sports, because they are trying to be sports in a way that esports is this whole unique competition. Rocket league still shares a lot of 
uh, traditional sports similarities. So that's a quick rundown. If you missed that last podcast, why we're just yelling VSS. And now that is Rocket League, basically, and maybe Roller Champions. And then like Max mentioned, we looked up some other games that were similar. And again, it's random variations of soccer, basically. This is how you score a goal, and it's a little bit unique. And they're all indie titles. So we, I think, both agree that that is the area where if an indie game is going to be successful, it's going to be in some of this traditional sports similarity, but also weirdly hard like Rocket League, the VSS space. Now, what the, the, the toughest thing for indie games, though, is, is popularity. And you had a, a pretty great idea as to how you can really build up the popularity of indie games on a on a bigger platform. It's the, the Indie Olympics. Olympics. Oh, Indie Olympics. And this is in really in name only, I'll be honest. Like it's never gonna be a country based competition, probably. But what I want is different indie games to all have a place where they can be shown and compete because right now just one indie game isn't really going to move the needle. This is what games done quick does really well. They play a whole bunch of different games that makes it interesting, different runners in different rooms. You can sort of jump between the action, make sure it doesn't lull. Well, what the indie Olympics can do is have different events. You can have a speed running gauntlet where People have to play Cuphead, Ocarina of Time, and uh, I guess Spelunky or something. You know, they have to run three different games. And who has the lowest cumulative time over those three games wins the event. Or they can be playing these new games that haven't been seen before. And suddenly it becomes a place for indie people to, or indie developers to showcase their titles to a big audience and be like, hey, here's my game. Whoever beats it the fastest wins this event. Something like that. And it's... I'd watch it. I'd watch people, like, amazing speedrunners play a game they've never yeah, played that. before. That'd be so interesting. I'd definitely watch that. And I'd, I'd love it as an opportunity to just kind of showcase some good games. It's a good way for for game content makers to go onto YouTube or Twitch and show off these games as well as compete at the same time. It gives the option for viewers to spectate and see new games come into the scene it also allows for speedrunners to really show off their prowess what i was going to say earlier speedrunners are so locked in to like individual games they don't get a lot of opportunity to break out into something new some of them do some of them try many different games in many different categories but for a lot of them they spend hours and days and years and forever working on one strat to one game within one percentile range for ever so if a speedrunner can be more versatile and have the option to try out these new games they could be the first forerunner to make it through these games and create the world records and be the stationary holder of records to come i mean some of those first record keepers on speedruns are really popular today even if they're way in the backburn on what is actually the world record now so i think it's a wonderful idea I think it's awesome, and I think it will be world round. I can't wait to see Brazil come at us in a nice game of Roller Champions. Roller Champions! I guess it's not really indie, huh? Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's made by Ubisoft, so that can't be in the Indy Olympics. I have very strict rules as the Cesar of the Indy Olympics. Uh, there are going to be very strict rules as to what is an indie title and what is As long isn't. as they all go through you but, to confirm the games they're going to play, then they'll have no problems. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you got to go through me. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta grease the wheels a little bit. I'm the new IOC. You got to <laughs> bring me your indie titles. We'll see <laughs> if they're going to play. Yeah, send me them Kickstarter funds. I, I know you got them. them. I don't like them. Anyways, yeah. So the Indie Olympics. That was that was my uh, this little idea of a way that hey, we could showcase all these different smaller games. You can also run it into. There's already events like it's Indie Con. Um, there's a. I know there's a whole group. I mean, yeah, everybody's a got a con now, but yeah. But you could run it into these events that already exist. People that are showing off their new games will have a competition in them. And if there's more competitive titles being created, then have people compete in brand new games in an actual tournament. I don't know. That just sounds so interesting to me. Like, imagine if you were playing Rocket League right when it came out and it was, oh, what is this game? All right. Now you're playing in a competition. Sure. Around yeah. It. The players don't even have to know what the game is because then there's no bias. Exactly, exactly. And then the best games get shown out. I don't know. It could be a really fun, unique idea for an event. I think indie developers would love it as an extra chance to showcase their game as a competitive environment. And if it's a classic platformer, it can be speedrun. If it is an actual multiplayer fighting game, which those are pretty popular as a indie genre, that could also be an awesome way to have some of the top FGC people come in and fight against each other. I don't know. I think the event has some promise. And if you're going to do indie games as esports, then it would be really cool to have an event showcasing the new ones that are coming out each year. And I think it would drive a lot of popularity, help them build competitive scenes coming out of the gate, which then can grow. Because a lot of really great games fall right as they start. They come out, they aren't played, and they're dead in the water, basically. But if you have this event where you can use it as like a platform to jump off of, I think that'd yeah, be really cool. I totally agree. And I think uh, I think as we're in the topic of of the growth of, of indie games and as they as they break into a, a larger forefront in front of them, we always seem to come back to Rocket League at the end of our talks. And we actually have actual news about Rocket League this time, as it's finally accepted by the Chinese government. Woo, yes. So I wanted to end on this because we mentioned Rocket League earlier as a sort of indie-ish esport title and a great example of what a developer who isn't really known for the games they create can become. They can be bought out by Epic Games and then almost immediately after, like I mentioned, Epic Games owned by Tencent. Tencent, Chinese company. Not a shock that Rocket League immediately gets pushed through the two-year approval process after the deal with Epic Games goes through. So, yes, the Chinese government is holds very strict regulations over the games that can and can't be played in the country. Rocket League is soccer with cars. There is no blood. There is no gore. There is no real violence besides explosions. Yeah, so, so it only took, so it should it only took pretty- five years for them to agree to have it in their games. Yeah, you know, it wasn't, it, it was quick. It was quick. Well, it was, 
it had existed, but it didn't have formal support. So there's a little bit of a difference in that. And I'm still not totally, I'm still trying to brush up on how this operates. China keeps their policies very uh, close to their vest, I think we should say, is fair or probably doesn't go far enough. It's hard to figure out what the hell is going out right. and try to. Well, what do you think this is going to do for the esport? I mean, the Chinese, the population of gamers in China is immense. And the popularity, whenever a game kind of gets out to China, really does start to grow quickly. Do you think that's going to have a great impact on the esport going forward? I really think that if Rocket League can be picked up and become popular in China, it will mark the growth of it into a true tier one esport. And the tier one of esports is often debated on, but there are about five games that I think are pretty widely considered tier one. And those are CSGO, Dota 2, League of Legends, Call of Duty, and now, wait, Overwatch? No, no, no way. No way Fortnite becomes a tier one esport. Well, okay, so there's there's this like... There's an actual metric, and it's created by Jens Hilgers, who was uh, one of the founders of ESL and Bitcraft Esports Ventures. Like He has this whole tier list, and there's three different things something has to reach, and it's a player base size, amount of money awarded, and... Oh, I can't remember the I can't remember the last one, but Fortnite's player base and amount of money awarded are absolutely in tier one range. Um, that was and like the main thing Rocket League is missing is player base. And I think I, I can't exactly remember these tiers right now, but those are his top ones. And I'm still waiting for him to release an updated thing. But my point is that Fortnite is either tier two or tier one. And it's just because of what they're guided on and not exactly the competitive integrity. If you want to learn about the competitive integrity of Fortnite Esports, check out the last podcast on the Esports Network podcast feed because we broke down the major issues with Fortnite Esports over the past year. That was a preview to the World Cup. And then soon after, we were going to have a recap of the World Cup, which actually went very well for for Fortnite. Great. Uh, Awesome plug. Also, tangent. But my point is, I want to get back to the... In China, yes, this could actually push it up into the tier one range because you have one point what one point one billion people in China, and it's the is the largest esports base for any country. It's very tech focused. Quite a few people are playing video games, and League of Legends numbers of people watching coming out of China are called into question a lot, but. If are even half of the like the last they said the last League of Legends World Championship was watched by like 250 million people in China, something just disgustingly absurd about amount of people. And again, people aren't exactly confident on those numbers because they just get reported by the Chinese government. It's like sure, sure. <laughs> um, but if it's even half of that, it's still a massive audience. And if Rocket League can start becoming popular in that country and we get a whole new group of Asian pros as well, I think it could be really massive. And you already have two Chinese esports organizations in Royal Never Give Up and Edward Gaming that have Rocket League divisions. They've been waiting for this to go on the whole time. And China also has a lot of esports infrastructure. They have tons of money dedicated to holding events, to holding championships. And Rocket League can go global. It is so easy to understand that even if the broadcasts aren't in Mandarin, they can still figure out what's happening in the game 
And it's only a matter of time before it expands. So if Rocket League can take off in China, and I think there's a decent chance that it can. I mean, soccer is already huge over there. So are esports. It's a pretty natural hit. Then the game itself could go truly global and really catapult up into that tier one range, which has been missing mostly due to lack of finances from Sonics, which has been sort of fixed by being yeah, acquired right by on. Epic Games. Uh, yeah, it's just the case if China really truly embraces the game. As much as we love Rocket League out here, NA, EU, uh, even Oceana and down in South America now, I mean, it's one of the most popular games to a lot of us out here, especially listening to this eSports Network podcast. But in China, you've got to really push the marketing in the right direction. You got to get it in front of the right people and make sure that the content is shown because it was a slow start off from 2015 when the game came out before it really blew up to the success that we find today and reaching a network like China, like you said, that is huge. That could be very, very enormous for the game. You just got to hope that it's picked up because there's a lot of games that get accepted by China in those games. They just, you know, sometimes they're not that popular. Sometimes we love games and you can explain why, but it's not the same admiration that you're going to find across the entire world. I think like you think Rocket League has that kind of growth and that kind of grab that pulls you in and says, this is a game you need to play even when you're losing, even when you hate it, why ever stop? And then you're like, because I'm really bad at it, but I'm still playing. (laughs) <laughs> that's about the the major issue and you, you you hit the nail on the head it's you know not every game gets big over there a lot of like in the battle royale craze fortnite never really took off in china it was PUBG, and well PUBG got banned i'm pretty sure i can't ever <laughs> keep up it was PUBG was banned fortnite was banned for a week and then it was not banned anymore and people were still playing it i have no idea if you can play fortnite in china right now in fact i think PUBG was fully banned as well uh, it's just, it's very, very confusing. But yeah, different games like Call of Duty can't play there, but CSGO, maybe you can. I, I again, it's in different regions, enjoy different games. Russians really play a lot of CSGO. They don't really play Call of Duty. Americans are probably a little more heavy in the Call of Duty world and less in CSGO. Just two different FPS games but they just are popular for different reasons. Right. So if it if it embraces and expands well enough in China, then I think that will have an excellent impact on even the casual player base of Rocket League because it will bring a lot of money into the eSport, thus a lot of money into the game itself. And that kind of growth will change everything about the game. We were talking before when we were talking about Epic Games acquiring Rocket League a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month back, that, you know it has a great potential to really grow because of Epic Games grab to it, that the eSport there will have a lot more money going into it. But at the same time, Epic Games might not do anything to the eSports scene if it doesn't show the proper growth. So if China being able to embrace this game and show that it wants to watch Rocket League and wants to compete in Rocket League, then you bet Epic Games is going to jump right over there. And then we're going to have a whole new world of eSports based on this one change. And that would be epic to be a part of. Every one of us. No pun intended. That would be epic games to be a part of. It's epic for epic. Got you before it. I started my retort before you said no pun intended. That counts. Pun intended. (laughs) Um, 
Anyways, that, that we wanted to wrap up on a little bit of Rocket League, talk about the developments of a indie game that is no longer indie and how massive it could become. It one day could become League of Legends, which also started as an indie game. So don't let your perception of what an indie game is color your thoughts on it because games are indie until they're not indie until they're not. And so yeah, next indie game could already be out there. The next League of Legends could be an indie game right now. And the only reason people think about indie games is sort of low quality, I guess, is because, well, A, they have less money, and B, because the ones that actually make it and are of super high quality, people don't consider indie games anymore. So that's the the curse of being an indie game. But check out the scene. Check out Hollow Knight. Because this is the Esports Network podcast presented by Hollow Knight. I'm kidding. Sorry, Mark. I don't actually need to sell that. (laughs) But um, everybody everybody go out. Yeah, that's Max's plug for Hollow Knight. Hey, it's an indie developer. We're not not giving AB their their big uh, revenue. We're presented by Hollow Knight. We're presented by the little uh, guy. To wrap it all up, we just want to let you know, go play Hollow Knight. That's all. Yeah, it's very simple. It's very simple. I don't know. I've actually never played it. So, Max, I guess we're going to have to play play sometime soon. You're going to want to do a podcast on Hollow Knight. Then you have to reach out to Moss Bags and get his input on everything. (laughs) I'll let the boss know. I'm sorry that it's now the Esports Network podcast presented by (laughs) Hollow Knight. Which has no potential to be an esport ever unless it's all speed running base. Which, again, is the only way that, that these it. indie games really have the best chance. And I, I would love to see. I would love to see speedrunning become a regulated competition. You put 10 people in a room, you start them all at the same time, let the floodgates move and see who can beat a game the fastest. I think it would be fun to experience. I think it would be cool to be a part of. And I think that would be a growth in esports that can move forward. You can build competitive teams on 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 speed running hell you can make speed run relays i've never seen that i'm sure it exists but you make a team a team of four that can speed run a game someone's better at this quarter of the game someone's better at this quarter of the game this guy's going to be the leg this guy's going to start it i mean it would be a lot of fun to watch speed running as an organized esport that would be pretty crazy the the relay format there's also ways like Hey, if you only get one chance at this, can you afford to go for the crazy glitch? Or especially you if you play it other teammates that are you, hoping you make it through this part in a very, very specific time. Exactly. There's some there's some really interesting applications for speedrunning esports in the future, and I think it is a underexplored area of esports that we will see people dive into a little bit further in the next decade. And I'm looking forward I, to it as well. I'm looking forward to it. All right, that was Maxwell Bettendorf. He's still on the line, but I'm introducing it like he's already gone. A good friend, my co-host. Always fun talking Thanks to you, Max. For have me, a good man. night. It was really nice. I'm, I'm walking out the door now. Have a good night. <laughs> Love you, man. All right, we'll be back with another Esports Network podcast again soon, recapping the Fortnite World Cup, and then have some cool other interviews in the works. Still working on getting those things scheduled, but you have that. Fortnite World Cup recap to look forward to. Thank you all for listening to this one. Hope you enjoyed.